Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey everybody! Oh boy, that was a that was a rough one this last Sunday. Couldn't even get to uh, the intro. I know it's like usually I'm so peppy and bringing in the show, bringing in the hosts, and all that kind of stuff, and it's just like, oh yeah, yeah. I think I spent a lot of emotion, John, in the post game show talking about uh, my thoughts on the show. But we will get yours and mine, more of mine, I guess, and and yours that we haven't heard quite yet. On the Bengals losing to the Steelers 23-20 in one of the wackiest games in recent memory. We've got a lot to get to tonight. We're going to talk about that, recap that game. We've got Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com coming on the show. First time in a long time, too long, and we hope to make that a bit more of a regular thing. So happy to have him coming on here. And then we will close up with some matchups and things to watch for against the the Cowboys coming up here a game I don't know if you want to call that one a must win we'll talk about that but uh, a game that the Bengals need to start really riding the ship with based on a lot of different factors not only things going on with Dallas but in their own building but I'm Anthony Cazenza he is John Sheeran we've got Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com coming up John uh, how you doing man how you doing they can't have a normal opener. I swear it's like <laughs> I remember 2015, like they played really well against the Raiders. And ever since then, it's been either insanely chaotic or downright terrible. Like they won at the last second against the Jets in 2016. They were, got shut out by the Ravens in 2017. It was a crazy game against the Colts in 2018. 2019 was also kind of interesting against Seattle. And then every single opener for Joe Burrow, they've had three home openers in the last three years. They've all been insane endings. Like, you can't make this stuff up. And then you have the most unexpected injury of all time happen at the worst possible person, the second worst possible person, I guess, for that situation, how it went down. They always make it interesting, man. It's always good for us, though. It's good content. It is. And the last two openers have amassed 10 full quarters. I mean, you've had five full quarters of each Mm -hmm. game, essentially. And coming down to the wire and, and you know, it, it went one way last year for him and another way this year, you just don't really ever expect to lose your long snapper. And when you do, it, it really shows how valuable that position can be. And it really shows when you don't talk about a guy for a long time, except for his exceptional hair and, and <laughs> occasional personality and the, the Pro Bowl birth he had a few years ago. When you don't talk about the guy, it shows how rock solid, steady, and awesome he is at his job. 
And, uh, you know, now, unfortunately, Clark, uh, Clark Harris is, uh, not, not with the team he's on IR. And so the, the Bengals have had to move on to Cal Adamitis. Let's talk about the Steelers game before we get to Jeff Hobson here in just a little bit. I contended, John, that this game is both insanely frustrating, but also there are moral victories, I guess, to take out of this if, if you want to go there. The, the You know, this game to me... The, a lot of Steelers fans are coming out of the woodwork and now beating their chest. And I'm seeing comments on our YouTube channel of uh, after the post game reactions, I'm seeing comments on Twitter and all kinds of different things talking about we day and blah, blah, blah. To me, that is not a victory really to be super proud of. Uh, if, and I don't mean to sound sour grapes in, in saying that I, I saw a quarterback in Mitchell Trubisky who could basically do nothing unless it was a flea flicker or some crazy gadget play. I saw a running game that was really stagnant. Um, I guess the offensive line in a way held up pretty well against the Bengals because they only allowed one sack, but the Bengals defense was kind of having their way in a lot of respects. And I just didn't see a dominant Steelers team in that win. I saw a Bengals team really shooting themselves in the foot. And even after the avalanche of mistakes, somehow the Bengals were right there and had the game in hand to win it at the very end of regulation. I mean, 49 of the 53 players the Steelers had, they played bad. Like they, they played a bad football game. <laughs> there's no, <laughs> yeah, there's no reason. There's no reason why this, why that game should have been close with the quarterback of the other team throwing four interceptions in the first 25 minutes and fumbling once. And for the Steelers to not turn the ball over, to basically not take any sacks and to still have that bad of a day offensively, I, I do think it means more that the Steelers offense is just a ways away from being competitive more than the Bengals defense being the 85 bears necessarily. But I think credit to the Bengals defense for, you know, showing up and proving that last year towards the end of the season wasn't necessarily a fluke. Like that was one of my not concerns, but biggest things I was going to watch for like, does this continuity that the defense has, does that really truly matter in terms of them, you know, elevating into a top tier unit and it, like they're definitely pointing towards that direction with this performance. Like they just played incredible football for, again, not really making a ton of game impacting plays. They just did enough to stifle the Steelers offense at every turn. Like the Steelers had a really bad offensive day. They only scored, I guess that would be 16 points considering they got seven from Minka Fitzpatrick on the mm-hmm. second play that the Bengals ran. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Steelers didn't look necessarily great. And Five turnovers is five turnovers. It's incredibly hard to overcome that. That's why 99% of teams who have ever done it just haven't been able to overcome it. And despite that, like, you know, the Bengals offense, I know this sounds weird or sounds stupid, but removing the turnovers, they were fine. Like they moved the ball on most of those series. They didn't really punt the ball that much. They got into scoring range. Burrow just played one of his worst games. I think he's ever played at least going back to 2018 LSU. I've never seen him play that bad. And I look back at his stats at LSU, and I don't remember seeing a game that had four interceptions in it um, in college really at all. So, I mean, we're talking high school maybe, peewee football. I mean, I I don't know. This is probably one of his worst performances as a pro there. But even with it all, things started to kind of write a little bit in the second half, and they're right there. And he got them. He and Jamar Chase and others got them 
in position to win the game all, all said and done. So, I mean, I guess, you know, we kind of held this notion last year where it was like, you know, no matter what circumstance you felt like Joe Burrow was going to keep you in the game and or win the game. And even because of his faults in the game, he still had them in position to win this game uh, when, when it was all said and done. So I, you know, it's just, it's a maddening game, not only to lose the way you do, but also to that team um, and, and to really start your season off on just this like really frustrating annoying note right and so it's going to be interesting to see for me where this team what direction this team takes this loss towards because there are still a lot of things to figure out uh, it sounds like you I, you wanted to say something so say your piece but after I would like to get your thoughts on because I mentioned this a little bit about playing guys in the preseason there's this notion out there now a lot of team, you know I think the teams were what three and eight that that didn't play their, their starters in the preseason. Two biggest examples were the two Super Bowl teams, the Rams and the Bengals, who really didn't look very good in either of their respective contests. So I, I want to get your piece on some of the other stuff, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that too. Well, we can start with that because it's not only the fact that, you know, Burrow couldn't play even if he wanted to in the preseason because of the appendectomy. Right. And I think he said on the first edition of his podcast with Colin Coward uh, today, that he wanted to play in the preseason. Like that was the plan. That was what he wanted to do. And then the appendectomy kind of threw it all into the dirt. So not only did the Bengals not play in the preseason, and that was mostly by design, the Steelers were one of the teams that did consistently play in the preseason because they needed to figure out who was going to be their quarterback. <laughs> they gave Mitchell yeah. Trubisky a ton of reps in the preseason, along with uh, Kenny Pickett and Mason Rudolph. So, you know, they were as in sync as you could be for a week one team. Now, granted, didn't really do much offensively, to their credit, but in comparison to the Bengals, they definitely knocked more of that supposed rust off. And just in terms of the rust, I I, I know that if they have a, a healthy Clark Harris out there, that the snap is fine and the field goal or the extra point is good. And I, I know that Darren Simmons said that, you know, even with Clark Harris out there, it still would have been blocked because it wasn't great protection by Drew Sample. But I don't know. It feels like that that snap even on replay it looks pretty slow compared to Clark Harris's like 3000, 3000 snap um, in his career. So I do think it, it gets there in time in order for McPherson to make the kick. And yeah, if Kevin Huber falls on the other snap and then they kick again and maybe it goes better. Like they, they still win the game despite all of that. And I, and I get that, but it, it's, it still goes back to, to, for me to burrow, like it, interceptions happen. They happened last year, mostly when they weren't even his fault. But these interceptions, I think, were just they were different in a worse way. Like he he was just forcing things that just weren't there. And it took mm -hmm. him a, a really long to realize that hey, the Steelers are just sitting in these same coverage looks and these routes. Like if I'm gonna throw these routes, I have to place them in different spots or have to be early. And he just wasn't really getting the message. And it really frustrated me personally. Like uh TJ Watt only had like one interception. I see only one interception as a defensive lineman, but he could have had like two or three. And it didn't seem like they were really keen in on that either. They weren't really taking notes about what was happening there, just how Watt kept reading where Burrow was going on some of those short routes. There was just a lot of frustrating things that you would expect Burrow to just be better at, regardless if it's week one, regardless if he hadn't played at all in the preseason or didn't practice much in training camp. So, you know, I credit to him. You know, he's not going to make excuses in, in that regard. And he didn't do so today in his media availability or anything like that. But, 
yeah, I, I think even beyond just the, the rust in the preseason, you would have expected more from Burrow in the first half. Yeah, and, you know, the T.J. Watt thing, I mean, the batted, the one batted ball and then the one he ended up intercepting, I mean, he didn't even engage with Leo Collins. He mm-hmm. just kind of stood there, and he, it's from film study and play recognition, right? I mean, he just kind of sat there, and he's like, this ball's going to come probably to my side here, and I'm going to time it and, and get in the way of it. So I guess kudos to him for, uh, rec- you know, recognizing what was happening out there. But, yeah, there were a couple of – I think it was the one ball that was deep across the middle. It was, like, late and a little behind that got picked off. Um, the first interception by Fitzpatrick, that looked like a totally forced pass that, that just, you know, wasn't – the play just wasn't there. So there are just some things where you go, man, it's just not, not very Burrow-esque. And now when you look at some of those things too, you had some familiar issues on the offensive line. Now, some are different. Some are the same. Jonah Williams, I think Alex, Alex Highsmith had three sacks on the day. Uh, he, he was having a day. Jonah Williams was struggling. Cordell Volson up and down. Uh, I think he allowed seven pressures on the day. Uh, you know, Leo Collins, you know, TJ Watt had a day as well. So, I mean, you're, you're looking across the board and you're going, oh, man, none of these guys played. So, Kappa and Collins were nursing kind of some injuries and stuff throughout the preseason. And so you go, okay, how much is this carryover? But you look at the thing, the thing of it, John, 11 quarterback hits, seven quarterback sacks. Stats, That's the same numbers in those statistical columns as it was in the Super Bowl just a handful of months ago and what precipitated – the four new starters on the offensive line and you're, you know, the very next game, even though it's months and months later and four new starters, you have an insanely similar stat line to a, to a very negative degree. Let's talk about this because every time that the Bengals had like a high sack game, the the discussion would happen. They would ask the coaches like the same questions, like, like what's the concern level with the offensive line? And the answer always revolved around, yeah, I mean, the offensive line didn't play great, but you know, there were encouraging signs and not all the sacks were on the offensive line. And that's always going to be the case. Like, I mm-hmm. think when you, when you chart this about three or four ended up just being on just clear misses and bad reps from individual offensive yep. linemen, but yep. that, that is always going to happen. Burrow is always going to be responsible for sacks because one sacks are more of a quarterback stat than they are an offensive offensive line stat. And two Burrow is never going to be Peyton Manning. He's never going to be Tom Brady. He's never going to just give up on plays. He will always take more sacks than he, than a Mm -hmm. traditional pocket passer counterpart may take. And that's why the offensive line can't be responsible for four sacks game to up the total to seven. Like that's where the discussion needs to, eventually get to because if he ends up taking 100 sacks in the year even if the offensive line is only responsible for 50 or 60 that's still too many for the offensive line to allow so we need to eventually get to that point of course the Steelers defensive line is going to be one of the best that they play all season and this is the first week and you know Cordell Volson's a rookie out there Lyle Collins didn't practice much in training camp and he's still getting his feet wet but it just it just needs to be better and I think when I when I say that I'm looking mostly at Jonah Williams who had a healthy offseason he had a full training camp and he still got beat pretty badly by Alex Highsmith, who is a great player in his own right. We have a lot of respect for him, but he needed to play a lot better considering the, the position that he was in going into that week. I expect a lot more from him. I think a lot of us did. And by my statement of seven sacks, 11 quarterback hits, that's not 
you know, I don't want that to be a blanket statement of it's only on the offensive line. Yeah. I've said it and you've said it a lot of times on the show that, you know, Burrow runs himself into, into sacks at times and whatnot because of his penchant to make plays and, you know, want to extend plays and all that kind of stuff. We know that's going to happen and it's usually going to happen a couple of times a game. And there's frustrating elements that come with that, but there are very exciting elements that also come with that. So, you know, I don't want it to be just a, you know, a blanket statement there, but what you said was just absolutely spot on where you can't compound the two or three that Joe Burrow may run into in a particular game by extending plays and whatnot by allowing, you know, these handful of bad reps that allow just devastating plays and seven sacks. Seven sacks is inexcusable. Um, it really it really is to, to allow that many in a game and to allow that many in a game after your last game of last season, you just allowed the same amount and you just brought in four new starters. That's, that's, that's where I just have this real trouble wrapping my head around that this is the same exact result uh, from the Super Bowl and, and the offseason focus was to fix that. Well, in fairness, I guess you know, two of them were, were from Bolson and we expected that to be mismatched mm-hmm. against Cam Hayward and Williams was responsible for, I think most of the other pressures and at least two sacks from Highsmith. So you're talking about like the one returning starter and the guy with the least amount of experience as possible. I think with the new additions, the veteran additions, Ted Karras played great. Mm-hmm. Alex Kappa played solid. I think mm-hmm. both those guys look like the guys that they paid for. And again, of Collins, I think he was like a good embodiment of just the offense as a whole because he started pretty rough and then as the game went on he kind of settled in and he had a lot of one-on-one opportunities with Watt and TJ Watt's going to do TJ Watt things and again on average the average defensive line is always going to be better than the average offensive line so the offensive line is never is rarely going to have picture perfect days there's going to be sacks allowed but to Collins's credit I think he handled Watt pretty well towards the end of the game and of course he's TJ Watt he's going to do TJ Watt things but as far as the better additions of the offensive line goes and just, oh, is this offensive line just as bad or not even better than last year? I think the moves that they made are starting to pay off, and they showed their dividends in certain aspects of the game. So it's not a complete hit the red panic button yet. Yeah, I'm not hitting the panic button. I'm just, I'm just a little frustrated. Um, but that that was more to people who were talking to me after the game, like, oh, this offensive line is still the same. Eh, right. let's, let's pump the brakes. Yeah, it's it's not the same. And I did see some good things out of Kappa and Karras in particular. I know Kappa. Um, I think it was uh, he and Drew Sample that both co- uh, combined for a couple of very nice blocks on that fourth down run from Joe Mixon that ended up getting him way deep in the red zone. But the other thing is, too, I know you didn't have T. Higgins. Um, and and we'll, we'll get to Jeff Hobson in just a minute here. But the, uh, you still have this is this is the other elements, not just the offensive line issues, but it's the red zone conversion issues as well that are still continuing. And with all the firepower on this offense, the quarterback you have, the running back you have, um, all of that, I, I don't see how this, you know, Hurst got involved later. I would like to see him involved in the red zone a bit more, but they're still having problems getting the ball into the end zone. And, you know, with, and it's almost like without these big giant plays and when, you know, Teams are playing the, the the two deep safeties to try and negate those plays against the Bengals. They're just, I don't know, they're kind of playing almost like a caged animal a little bit, right? They're just frustrated and they're, they're trying to do too much. And I think you saw a little bit of that. And then as you get closer, they're still trying to figure out how to get in the end zone. And it's just, it's not clicking. It's not clicking very often. Um, and that's a, that's a bit concerning based on what we saw through the postseason last year. Yeah, and when they got in, 
I'm thinking of like one red zone trip specifically when Chase got stopped, quote unquote stopped at the goal line on it should have been touchdown. They tried to run the ball with Mixon. He gets tackled for loss from like minus two. Yeah. And then they have like three passing plays and they can't get the ball into the end zone. And that, that, yeah, that just has to be better regardless if it's Mike Thomas is playing for T Higgins. Mike Thomas drops a end zone or potentially a game winning touchdown in the end zone before Jamar Chase ends up catching it. It just needs to be better. And it's week one madness happens and week one all the time. I think like, I think you're kind of in the right direction though. Like it was kind of a, a wake up call that, Hey, you know, some of these things that we could do last year, you know, we're not going to be able to do it with as much ease this year, regardless of the competition, because they know the best ways to counter out it. And we, we just have to be quicker to, you know, institute our own counter to, to attack it as well. Well, just to kind of close this conversation here, I mean, it's, I think I know your answer, what your answers will be, but was this just a fluke thing? Are you, are you kind of worried? Um, obviously this week's going to tell us a lot, but I mean, just how do you feel about this and how do you feel? I mean, am I being too harsh on the Steelers? I saw an article by our own Matt Minnick talking, you know, it's titled moving on, which is, which is funny, but it says, you know, that he, he says in there, the Steelers aren't as bad as you think. Um, I mean, I'm, I agree to that to a certain degree, but I, I was just not impressed really with what I saw outside of basically, like you said, four players on their team, which was Hayward, Watt, Highsmith, and Minka Fitzpatrick. So, I mean, uh, outside of that, I, I didn't see anything on offense that really scared me all that much. And I don't know if you're if you're thinking this is a fluke. Or are you concerned? You said you're not hitting the panic button yet. So I, I kind of think I know where you're going to go. I mean, first with the Steelers, like, I don't think it's it's wrong to not give them a lot of credit because again they they didn't play very well and they played the one type of game that that required for them to have a chance of winning and credit to them for actually doing it. It's football, mm-hmm. crazy stuff happens. It's, it's way too early for me to be like, yeah, this this team can't adapt to what's happening with defenses scheming against them. Um, we, we saw this team start kind of slow over the past or last year, and that was mainly because Burrow is hurt or just recovering from an injury. And maybe part of that has something to do with this as well. We don't know how much full, how much strength he has in his core to be able to make some of these throws because the opportunities that they, that they did have down the field, like they couldn't take advantage of it. I, I, I look back to, there was a vertical route to Mike Thomas who was, who stacked the cornerback and he threw it out of bounds a little bit. Yeah. One of the interceptions to Tyler Boyd, like the, the slot cornerback made a great play. He had a great game but Boyd had him inside leverage. Like there was no safety in the middle of the field. Like that could have been a big game or even a touchdown and Burrow didn't put enough juice on it. It was a little bit late. So it's, it's too early to see, to completely worry that Burrow just doesn't have it yet, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a wake up call for them for, to, to be sure. Yeah. I mean, there's other little elements in this game too, that just made you, you know, chase as wonderful as he played throughout most of the game, there was that drop across the middle that he, he could have maybe jetted into the end zone, knowing his speed. Um, you know, there was that in the game, there was obviously the touchdown he did have that was not challenged based on the spot there. So, I mean, there's just other little frustrating things or I guess big frustrating things that make you go, man, this game was just could have could was right there to be had and just, uh, just wasn't, but They've got the Cowboys on deck, a really interesting matchup. We will talk more about that in just a second. Just want to remind everybody before we get to Jeff Hobson of a couple of things. Number one, you can get this show as well as all of the others on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel on your favorite audio streamer by subscribing to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. 
You can get this show, The Orange and Black Insider. You can get Talking Football with Bengal Jim and Friends. They just had Marissa Contepelli on their show last night. Hopefully you caught that one. And then, of course, um, you've got Coach Speak and Chalk Talk from Matt Minnick all on the channel. And we've been bringing you all kinds of stuff, trying to get you stuff almost every day of the week, if not every day of the week. So hopefully you are enjoying it there. And, of course, you can click the icon right beneath John there by the Cincy Jungle logo and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Click the bell to be notified when we go live and when new content is available. One other reminder before we bring in Mr. Jeff Hobson, we've got a uh, we're doing we're doing a fundraiser, and this is something that we are doing uh, in conjunction with the Pollock Family Foundation. We've got this running. We're we're going to be running this for a little while longer. We've raised some money. We are giving away prizes. I teased some of those in last week's show. Um, so keep donating. If you, if you send in a super chat, we're collecting that. We're going to add that, that we've got over the past handful of weeks. We're going to add that to the pile here as well, but give, um, give how you can. And if you can here, uh, this is a great, great organization. We had David Pollock, former Bengals linebacker, current ESPN personality, um, on our show, which was a great time talking with him and they're doing some great work in the community and looking to branch out of the Atlanta and the Georgia area to really make this thing kind of more nationwide. And they're asking for needing our help, not asking for it. We, we want to help them. So uh, we've got prizes and all kinds of stuff. We're going to run this a little while longer. You got to donate and uh, help out a good cause. So thank you to everyone who has donated to this point and just wanted to, um, you know, make sure that everybody was aware of the great, uh, great cause that they've got going on. So please, please, please think about donating. All right. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
week, we are joined by a very special guest. Been way too long, and I am ashamed about it that he has been on this show since he has been on this show. Mr. Jeff Hobson, the incomparable Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com. How are you, sir? You got you're in your office. You got new Paycor Stadium behind you there. I know it. I know it. I hear. I'll give you guys a give the viewers a look at it. There it oh, is. Look at that. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. You yeah, got the view. Uh, I didn't recognize John. So sorry about that, John. I didn't recognize you. Usually you're a, somebody else. In, in a good way or a bad way. Like I hope oh, I'm presentable. Well, you know, you're a versatile guy, a man of many faces. It's <laughs> only been a minute. He's already graced me. I know. Well, speaking of a man of many talents like yourself, Mr. Austin, um, I guess we'll spend a, a few minutes with you here, and I guess a, a good of place as any to, to begin to kind of get, get caught up with things after the Bengals lose in week one. What's your sense of the attitude in the locker room after this one? Is it just kind of disgust and frustration? Is it deflation? Is it confusion? I mean, what, what, from the coaches, from the players, just such a wacky game and one that seemingly could have and should have been won. I guess, what's your sense of the attitude throughout the locker room as this week begins? Yeah, I, I'd probably say urgency. Um, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, I think they uh, were encouraged by the fact that uh, they were a minus five turnover and still almost won the game. So uh, I think they felt like uh, that, you know, certainly no certainly no panic. I mean, you can't tell. You really can't tell what week it is, in there, you know. And uh, I would say that uh, – just from taking the temperature and it's really hot. It's really kind of hard to do when you're only in there for a half hour or something and then see him on the field for 20 minutes. It's kind of hard to gauge, but my sense is, uh, after talking to some of the guys, that there's urgency. And I think that they felt like, um, whatever, you know, whatever kinks they had, they got worked out in that first half. And I think the offense feels encouraged by what happened in the second half of the game. And, uh, you know, I think they realized that they were, you know, uh, were just a, uh, almost a fluke away from winning the thing. You know, I mean, uh, nobody plans on having their long snapper go down. So right. I, you, I, I think you guys would probably not be surprised because they act like a team, in the words of the great Paul Brown, uh, that's been there before. I mean, recency bias aside, just the three home openers that Joe Burrow has played in the last three years have all been crazy. Just recency yep. bias aside, rank them in order of like wackiest to maybe not as wacky. No, John, <laughs> uh, John you're exactly right. I, I, uh, you're exactly right because I don't know. See, when I when, when I saw McPherson bent over after he missed the second one, you know, obviously I flashed back to Randy Bullock, and I was hoping that he was okay. You know. So that was mm -hmm. really weird. The, uh, I mean, the try, it, it's it's hard to it's hard to uh, beat that Chargers opener in 2020 with nobody in the stands. That was really weird. Mm -hmm. And then to have AJ Green win the game, the flag dropped. I think I think that trumps everything just because there was nobody in the stands. Uh, but I tell you what, last Sunday was pretty. Last Sunday was pretty close. I think Jamai Chase scored eight touchdowns. I'm not sure. <laughs> With only one counting, good lord! Yeah, correct. That's right. No, it was uh, no. You're right. It was. Uh, I still don't think 
it was as wacky as the 2009 opener. You guys yeah. were young. I mean, you guys were probably in junior high then. But oh man, I mean, oh. But they were, you know, you got. But I know you guys remember it, and it was mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, it was the uh, Brandon Stokely. Oh my oh. God, game. Ugh. Ugh. I still hear Gus Johnson's voice in my head yeah, and my right. nightmares on that one. And and you and you remember that they came back and they beat uh, they beat Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay and they beat mm-hmm. Roethlisberger down here. So now they only have to beat the, you know I, I I say this sarcastically but you know Cooper Rush and Joe Flacco that that, that will still be hard enough because it's on the road but uh, you know it's it's was pretty daunting in 09 too and they swept the division. Yeah. Well, what what were your impressions or thoughts? I guess about. Kind of, I mean, obviously things had to get altered game plan wise with so many term turnovers and you know they fell behind, so they probably had to pass quite a bit more than they wanted to. But I mean, flow of the game, approach, um, level of predictability, maybe of the play calling on offense. Are any of these kind of questions that linger in your mind based on everything we saw, or is it just look, the turnovers happened and it just kind of became the way it became and they did what they had to do? Yeah, I think, you know, you never want to throw 53 passes or whatever it was, uh, but they had to. They'll probably, you know, every guy in that field will probably never play 100 snaps again on whatever it was <laughs> they played. You know, so I think you have to look at this game. You just can't just – I think you got to look at this game in its own special box, you know. Um, he threw a pick six on, on his first throw of the game. I mean, I, you know I, – I don't think things got blown up then, but it was a, uh, I do think it was, I do think the one thing I can take, take from it is I think that's what they're going to see. They are going to see that cover too. And people are not going to let them go deep. And how are they going to beat that? To me, that's the, that's what I get out of the game. And, and, and it looked like they beat it. I mean, they, they, the first, you know, I mean, if they had, uh, <laughs> If they were able to, you know, they got it done. They went down to field. I, to me, the impressive thing to me was uh, I thought they were going to come out rusty on offense. They did. I thought they would get their feet settled in the second half, and I thought they did. And, you know, last two drives, you know, they had the ball for the last six minutes of the uh, second, first half, the second half virtually, and they went down the field. So I think they'd figure out how to move against cover two, but I think that's how they're going to have to do it. They're going to have to. I think Burroughs said it today in his news conference, you know, and he, I think he said this right before he went on a tear last year, you know, you got to give what the defense takes you. You can't force it. He tried to force it to Minka. Uh, I think he tried to force it on the, on the, on, on his last interception. And I think, you know, the realization is that this, this is just, uh, I think it's going to be like this until they can, you know, until, until Mixon has a big running game, I think people are going to sit in that cover too on So I think what's getting lost in the fact that the offense played 100 snaps is that the defense kept giving the ball back to them just for not forcing a turnover and I think only sacking Trubisky once when he ran out of bounds. Like, that had to be one of the better defensive performances without, like, game-changing turnovers that we've seen, at least. Yeah, John, I agree. I mean, you know, they what they gave up 130 yards going into the fourth quarter. And uh, I was talking to Logan Wilson today, and uh, you know they were disappointed that they didn't get, you know, a turnover or two. I think they felt like that they that they cost them something not turning that turnover. You know, they really. Uh, I mentioned to him that it seemed like defense, and like you said, it the defense had seemed picked up right where they left off in the postseason. They were so good in the postseason, you know, and that's 
you know, they didn't give up, but I think they averaged give, allowing 20 points per game in the four postseason games, and that's right where they were this trip, you know. And uh, But the, what was missing was the turnovers. You know, they had that great plus seven, that great plus seven pad and turnover differential. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, John. I, it's about the best defensive performance I can think of without a turnover. I mean, I but that's, you know, I – I don't know how good the Steelers are on. Uh, I don't know how good the Steelers are on. Uh, are on offense either. Yeah, Trubisky to me didn't really give a lot of things to be as a Steelers fan to, to be proud yeah. of uh, on the passing performance. And really, the run game got stymied quite a bit there too. So yeah, yeah pretty good defensive performance by the by the Cincinnati Bengals and Lou and yeah, Rumo's unit. You know, I think Tom, but I think that's why Tomlin gave Trubisky the job. He knew he wouldn't. He knew he wouldn't throw it away. You know, he knew he would. Uh, he, you know, they probably told him, "Look, we'll get you seven points on defense, and uh, you know, you, you do the rest. Don't don't make a mistake." And uh, you know, I mean, Pickett's obviously going to be the long term answer down there, but Trubisky's the you know Trubisky's, geez, he's won almost sixty percent of his games. So, uh, you know, he's the kind of guy that you know they're going to be. I tell you, Pittsburgh's going to be. Uh, you know, they're going to be there at the end. I mean, I they'll 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 find a way. They always seem to, don't they? Yeah. Talking with Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com for a few more minutes here. We appreciate his time and uh, all the great work he does, giving Bengals fans all of the information and insight over at Bengals.com. Jeff, uh, any updates? I, I, we've heard some positive, but kind of slow progress from T. Higgins in the concussion protocol. Any updates on him? Devin Asiasi, maybe some others that are on the injury report uh, as of last week and this week going into the game against Dallas. Yeah, it's uh, it looks like that. Um, I think Higgins is going to be okay. He was out there on the field. Uh, they listed him as limited. I didn't see uh, I didn't see the tight end, but I can tell you in a minute though because uh, uh, they just sent out the injury report, and I I, I think that. Um, I think that felt like that uh, Asiaki could, uh, if that's how, John, help me there. Is that how you say it? Asiasi, yes. Asiasi, yeah. So, yeah, he did go today. He went limited today. So, you know, he's a, uh, they'd obviously, uh, they wouldn't dress for tight ends. So, you know, he may be, but since he's limited, he may not be ready to go yet. And I think when they got him, I think when they claimed him, I think they thought he might need a couple weeks to get ready. So, I, I think uh, they got Higgins limited too. My guess would be T goes and Asiasi doesn't. Well, before you get out of here, Jeff, we want to give you a chance to, to plug your great work at Bengals.com. You have a great article up right now talking about the Bengals' new long snapper, Cal Adamitis, and a connection that he has with Kevin Huber. Can you kind of break us, break that down for us real quick? Yeah, he's got the uh, – and, John, you might you might help me with the pronunciation there, the, uh, the pit linebacker coach. I think it's McAuley. Uh, yeah, McAuley and uh, Ryan McAuley, who was Huber's. Actually, they were roommates at the University of Cincinnati uh, <laughs> several years ago, I guess you would say. And uh, McAuley was really uh, he was uh, helped Adamitis at Pitt. He wasn't his position coach, but Adamitis worked with the linebackers. Uh, he, you know, he felt like he wanted to uh, work on his agility, work on his tackling, and so he worked with uh, the linebacker group. I think he played that in high school a little bit. So uh, he kind of, uh, 
you know, Ryan was uh, Ryan, his coach, uh, was a linebacker at UC and was was a good one. I think he had about 200 career tackles, and it was just kind of an interesting story. Uh, uh, thank you for plugging it. Uh, it was, you know, it's about how you know what a small world this really is, you know. And uh, he said, you know, Ryan said that he thought there was a lot of similarities with Kevin and uh, Kevin and Cal. Uh, you know, the very you know kind of professional guys, serious. And, uh, you know, always, you know, kind of study and uh, do what they're supposed to do. And certainly Adam Itis was, has been all of that so far. I know he was in here Tuesday on his off day, and he was looking at the Dallas fronts. And uh, that's going to be an interesting uh, – that'll be an interesting matchup because uh, Dallas is important to Darren Simmons. Dallas likes to bring – you know, they like to they like to rush the punter. So, you know, they're going to do it with a new snapper. And uh, that will be uh, – at least we never talk about the snapper until, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like the Titanic. You know, you never talk about a boat until it sinks, you know. So, uh, and that's kind of where we are with the, with the snappers and the special teams. But uh, really, when you think about it, they've been so good there and so solid. You know, before Brad St. Louis, and I know you guys remember him, before he mm-hmm. kind of had, he got the yips all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you know. And he went from being one of the most solid, reliable snappers in the league that he was gone in about three weeks, and which is amazing. But Brad was here for 144 games. He had a great career as a snapper here. You know, 10, 10, he was in his 10th season. Clark Harris, you know, another 13. So this is only the fourth snapper that Darren Simmons is getting ready for a game. When you, when you think about, you know, all the turnover in his 20 years and to be, you know, to, to, to be so so consistent at that one position, it's, uh, it's really amazing. It really is, and it's it's a testament to Darren Simmons in the you know the respect level that he has around the league is one of the best special teams coaches in the NFL. Jeff, uh, before we get you out of here, what do you, how do you see in, how do you see this one going Sunday? Personally, whether Dak Prescott was going to be in or not, I kind of felt like uh, the way this game ended, I see this Bengals team coming out firing um whether that i mean i don't know if that means passing the ball a lot or running the ball but i just think they're going to come out and play passionate football now they're going up against a backup quarterback in dallas making this potentially an even more lopsided game albeit a tough one to go on the road and play in that environment but uh your take on this game what you're expecting to see predictions all that good stuff yeah anthony it's a uh it is a, it is i think you hit him right on the head there when you mentioned the, the backup quarterback uh, all good Pengal fans i think shudder <laughs> quarterback, because you know Mike uh, Mike White was not the first one oh, yeah. to uh, come out of the blue and uh, strike him. You know, you can there's there's all sorts of Bengal villains around there, and I and I although although Cooper Rush is a uh, although he's a backup and he's got only one NFL start. You know, he's been in Dallas for five years, and Logan Wilson told me something interesting. I I didn't realize this, but he said that you know Rush was there. When um, Kellen, um, when the when the OC, uh, um, Kellen Moore, Kellen, Kellen Moore, Moore, thank you, was actually a quarterback, was actually a point. So he's been he's been there that long. Thank you, John. I, I um, so you know he's been there. He's been in the system. So I mean, even though he hasn't played, he does you know he does have those characteristics of a potential Bengals villain. But I don't you know they just don't. You know the Cowboys seem to be struggling with their offensive line. They don't. Uh, they don't have a lot of weapons. I think Zeke is still a threat. They got two very good running backs, but I think the Bengals do a good job stopping the run. So, I, I to me, it comes down to again, uh, if if they can, if the Bengals can, uh, you know, there's two big matchups. There's 
there's Bengals trying to protect Burrow from Micah Passons, who is mm-hmm. who is their Trey Hendrickson. You know, barely does a game go by where he doesn't have a bunch of pressures or at least a sack. And the other one, of course, is is, is Jason Diggs. What a great matchup that is. Uh, from uh, you know, it's all over YouTube. Their matchup on you know from college when Alabama played LSU. But uh, you know, he had 11 picks last year. Uh, the Cowboys, I think, had 26 interceptions. So that makes you a little nervous with, you know, Joe coming off that four-pick game. So, but I think, uh, you know, I think they, uh, um, I think it's a good matchup in the sense that uh, Dallas isn't going to score a lot of points. And I think that, uh, you know, the Bengals are uh, coming off a a game where they've realized what they can and can't do against, you know, like a defensive secondary that Dallas has. So I think it's... uh, Things happen for a reason. The four picks in the first 25 minutes is, uh, I think, is going to dictate how they go at least for the first couple early early in the season. They're going to have to, you know, knock. It, don't force it. See what Mixon can do. Uh, see what Chase can do underneath. And uh, you know, I think it uh, eventually they'll bust out. But uh, I think you know uh, this kind of uh, you know I think my favorite my two favorite games last year were. Vegas and Denver on the road, two tough, mm. two tough road games. They had to win. Really didn't have any explosive plays, you know. But they won the games with with Eddie. You know, Joe played very smartly. They didn't turn it over. The defense pitched good ones, you know. And let's let's have one like that. Let's have uh, let's have one like that where, you know, don't don't give Dallas twenty points and go out score twenty four. Don't turn it over. I think you know. Vegas, something like something like something between a cross between Vegas and Denver would be uh, would be kind of nice right on now. Yeah, and those I think those exuded a lot of character of that team last year too. Those wins, you know, yeah. um, getting them getting them to the Super Bowl. Well, Jeff, we've gone a lot longer than uh, you had said you had wanted us to, but we we appreciate no it. And I know you I know you quipped earlier about me being in middle school potentially in that 09 game. I'm a little older than that. No, and I, I can remember. It. I'm I'm 40 next week, man. So I mean, I, I yes, yes. So I, I appreciate the comment, but I can remember back in middle school days, writing into Hobson's Choice and you answering my questions and getting me going on this path of writing, podcasting, and doing all this stuff. You are a legend. You are awesome to all the Bengal fans and everybody out there. So well, it's very kind of you to that's that's very kind of you to say. Thanks for writing, John. How old were you in '09? I was actually in middle school. You were there right you on the money. Yeah. I was 13 yeah. years old. Oh, uh, you've done it. Uh, well, I tell you what, you've done a hell of a you've, you've done a hell of a lot in your young life. You should be proud. You, uh, that's a that's that, that's uh, that's a pretty good run so far. So that makes you only what you're only what uh, 26 years young, man. 26 geez, years that's, young. That's uh, you're doing well. You guys are doing well, man. That's uh, that's uh, that's going to inspire me here the rest of the night. To get- <laughs> Hell yeah. So thanks for thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, hopefully we can do it again soon, Jeff. I, I really appreciate the time. Call anytime. All Thank right, you, Jeff. Take care. One, one last shot at the one last yep. shot. <laughs> I love it. it Enjoy court. the view. Enjoy the view. I love it. JFK. Thanks, Jeff. All right. So that was Jeff Hobson, the Incomparable Jeff Hobson. What what a guy. What a guy. Um, always great talking with him, catching up with him, giving us the view of the stadium and everything, John. he By the way, he might be teeing John up 
to be his heir apparent at Bengals.com, the way he was just stroking that ego, John. I I I was like, wow, hey, uh, there's another host here, by the way. Um, <laughs> he's a big John fan, as we all are, as we all are. My Twitter bio now says a versatile guy per Jeff Hobson. So <laughs> he's the best. I love him to death. He really is. He's he's just a very nice man, very good man, and just you could sit there and you know talk. He, he's got a good memory on little things, you know, about you know how long certain players were here, how many games they played, and all that kind of. I mean, talking about Brad St. Louis, I knew he was there for a long time. Off the top of my head, I don't think I knew he was there for ten years. I thought he was there for I don't know eight, nine. I mean, I knew he was there for a while. He probably um, knows like Brad St. Louis's grandpa had this. Like his his knowledge is just infinite. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's he's awesome though, and uh, get the, thanks to him coming coming on here, we'll try and get him on again this season. And uh, as we transition to the Cowboys, one other fun announcement that we've got: uh, we kind of locked in a couple of high high profile Bengal fans on Twitter, Twitter personalities for not this week, but next week's listener question show. We're going to do some Bengals chat and different things, but the Bengalorian and Tyler Minerding who does the Bengals, the, the, the great TikTok video of the Bengals fan counseling uh, series. They're going to join us. They've got a cool thing going on for an, an, at uh, in, in Ohio tailgate while the Bengals are away in New York. They're doing a special event in Ohio. So we're going to we're going to help talk, you know, promote that and talk about that. Talk some Bengals and have some fun with those guys. We haven't had them on the show. We've had the Bangalorean on a while ago, have not had Tyler on. So. Looking forward to that, talking some Bengals, answering some of your questions, and just having some fun there. But uh, in the meantime, our thanks to Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com. And we do have also tomorrow, Thursday, Jeff Cavanaugh of the Believe Podcast Network. He's got a huge Twitter following. He's got like 90,000 followers or something. Um, He covers the Cowboys. John and I will be chatting with him, helping to preview that game. So we've got even more coverage for you. And then, of course, we'll we'll do all kinds of different things throughout the rest of the week. But um, trying to pepper you with all kinds of content, not only on our show, the Orange and Black Insider, but the others on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. We got a very, very good, very generous uh, special uh, YouTube donation here um, from James saying, I'm hoping for a bounce back game against the Cowboys. I have full confidence. The offense will get it together. Who day. Thank you, James, for the super chat donation there. That'll go to the Pollock family foundation and enter you in some giveaways. So appreciate that. And uh, very generous of you. Thank you, um, John. Let's talk about this game here for the remainder of the show. The Bengals, Travel to Dallas. I got to tell you, to just to tee this one up, I've already got them, and I, I may be cursing them already. I've already got them this week. This is how confident I am in this game, and I was confident in this game prior to Dak Prescott going down, and I know that was just a few hours after they lost. I felt that the Bengals were going to go in there and play, for the lack of better words, pissed off football. Uh, I, I think they are, you know, you, you heard Jeff talk about urgency and other elements to that. Um I just feel I've picked them in my survival pool this week, but I, I feel that the Bengals just are going to go in there and and kind of kind of take it to Dallas. Um, there is kind of the weird element of the backup quarterback. What are they going to do? I feel Dallas has regressed in some areas, um, and then of course the backup quarterback situation. But 
Still not an easy game, but I think the Bengals just on the surface before we get into player matchups, key matchups, and more tomorrow with Jeff. I just feel I feel pretty good about this game uh, for a variety of reasons. They're they're kind of due for a win against Dallas. You know the last time the Bengals beat the Dallas Cowboys. I'm trying to remember. I know in what was it uh, twenty was that 2018 that they would have played them at home. Uh, well, they didn't. They didn't. They lost last year, right at home. 2018, I think they lost out there. 2016, I think they lost out in Dallas as well. I'm, I'm trying to keep track. but it's So it's been, been every lot. four years. Like 2020 was when Brandon Allen was a quarterback. They fumbled right. it like three times. 2016, That's the one I'm thinking of, yeah. They got ran over by Zeke as a rookie. Last time the Bengals beat the Cowboys was 2004, which was a home Oof. game. I remember they were, they were, in, they were wearing uh, orange jerseys, and they beat them 26 Anthony Wright or who was the quarterback at that? Was that Romo still? I no, it was Romo? before. It was before Tony Romo. That's how long wow. it's been since the Bengals beat the Dallas wow. Cowboys, which kind of happens with NFC teams playing AFC teams. But yeah, they're they're, they're kind of due. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they are due, and this would be the ultimate get right game for the Bengals after losing this one that they lost last week. Um, I think you know th- there are a lot of places to start but i i, I kind of want to start again on the offensive line particularly now that the one of the Bengals big ticket free agents on the offensive line was let go by by Dallas and Lael Collins and now there's questions on the Dallas offensive line and you've got still questions about the Bengals offensive line but now you've had a week's worth of game experience against a good defensive line and hoping that things kind of coalesce in a in a better way this week than they showed last week. Yeah, I think I think this is why the game is maybe going to be a little bit closer than people think because I, I look at what happened last week and it wasn't the, necessarily the Steelers' secondary played fantastic because Jamar Chase still had a great game against uh, a mismatch at cornerback. And I, I don't think the Cowboys' secondary is anything really to boast about aside from you know Trayvon Diggs' ball skills. But I think Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence off the edge, like that still poses potential issues for the Bengals, especially for Jonah Williams. Like I think Williams is a fine player, but Micah Parsons looks like a mismatch for any left tackle who he goes up against. And I think quick pressure generated by the Cowboys in this sense, I think that might limit how explosive the Bengals offense can be. If, if they're looking to be more explosive, if they're, if they're looking to finally take the top off of a defense this year. So it really comes down to, I think like how just, methodical can their offense be with that with dealing with that pass rush like how can they nullify Micah Parsons off the edge to Marcus Lawrence off the edge because like they have creative ways of getting to the passer and Micah is just this athletic freak who somehow bends around the edge in ways where it's like his get off is not even like that insane but all of a sudden like he's dipping around the, the, the tackle with this insane hip flexibility and it's like it's it's really hard to stop so I, I think they have the pass rush to keep the Bengals offense at bay to a certain extent but I do think that, that there's an element where if the pass rush is nullified just a little bit like the Cowboys secondary is definitely ripe for allowing big plays and T Higgins coming back healthy like that's obviously important but Chase and Diggs is history going back to LSU Alabama where Chase got the better of Diggs, I think that's going to be in the back of Diggs' mind. And I think he's going to have something to prove in this game. And maybe Chase can take advantage of that. Maybe this is like when Chase and Burrow kind of pop off for the first time 
this year. So I'm with you. Like I definitely like see the scenario where the offense had just has a complete get right game, but I'm definitely not counting out how Micah Parsons alone can impact this game because we saw how just a handful of Steelers just completely turned the tides of last week's game. Absolutely. I, I, this is a, an interesting comment from fried baloney. Uh, I think that's the name there, but by the way, They've been bringing this all night. A lot of interesting commentary in the in the live YouTube chat, but I'm not sure if I care as much about the victory. I just want them to figure out something in the run game in the O line to gel, and that's kind of part of where I, I'm going next. And I'm kind of running in my own mind here. This summer and leading up to the regular season, Zach Taylor and even Joe Burrow as well kind of said we want to be balanced. We want to have uh, you know rushing attempts that sort of mirror the pass attempts it it, it sounded like in terms of their approach on offense that definitely was the approach early last season as they eased burrow back in now obviously things derailed pretty quickly in the game last week kind of forcing them to throw the ball 50 plus times but i'm thinking based on what defenses may give them or not give them and the amount of turnovers, not that you want to control Joe Burrow by any means, but I'm thinking the idea this week has to be more balance and a more balanced attack on offense, more Joe Mixon. And Oh, by the way, are we going to see Chris Evans do anything on offense, get any offensive snaps? Where was he last week? Yeah. I mean, he was on the bench. Like he, he didn't even do anything in the return game because nope. I think Boswell just kicked it into the end zone all the time. And I, honestly, I, I don't think that that, that that was that unexpected. I think that it's very clear that they have a level of trust with Pirine over Evans in those situations. And even Pirine barely saw the field. I think he was only out there because this is kind of flowing under the radar. Did Joe Mixon like suffer an open wound in like the third quarter? He was apparently bleeding and he had to get taped mm-hmm. up on, on his arm or something like that. And, and he Pirine left had, again, I think, right? Yeah. And then Pirine had the wherewithal to pick up that fumble, even though it was a it was against the rules. So there's there's definitely a clear gap in the trust that the coaches have in P. Ryan compared to Chris Evans. And the run game in general, just it I, I think it was encouraging that even in the handful of times that they ran the ball as shotgun, it seems like that, that was more frequent than they did all of last year. That was my main complaint about the run game. It was it was way too predictable in the sense that yeah, if they're under center, it's either play action or it's a run. And their play action game has never been effective or creative in the slightest and doesn't seem like that was much improved against the Steelers a good run game is is built around just an offensive line working as a cohesive unit and just gaining push against the opposing defensive line and I think the fact that you know the interior of the Cowboys defensive line is not very good I think that's an area where Karras, Kappa and Volson and company they can get right obviously Collins has something to prove against the team that cut him uh loose for an undrafted rookie or third year player in Terrence Steele. So he'll be playing with something to prove. Jonah Williams is looking to bounce back. So yeah, I think the, I think in the run game, the Bengals would be better against the Cowboys defensive line, which is like the opposite of what you would expect on the other side of the ball, because the Cowboys offensive line is kind of in disarray. Like they're going to be down their left guard. They have Zach Miller, or excuse me, Zach Martin still, but they're bringing Jason Peters back from the, the streets right now like he's probably going to start a left tackle they have tyler smith who started left tackle last week he's a rookie he might move in side to left guard the Bengals defensive line looks so good against the steelers and just stuffing the run and filling the gaps i don't think that the Cowboys are going to do enough to take the pressure off of cooper rush with their running game which is why yeah the, the, the game might get out of hand pretty quickly but 
as much as we've applauded the Bengals defense last week and for good reason with a backup quarterback, you're going to need to generate consistent pressure, maybe get the occasional sack and all of that leads to more turnovers. Chidobia Wuzie, aside from a phantom pass interference call last week, I thought he played outstanding. I think he had mm-hmm. a very high grade and pass coverage snaps and, and whatnot. I mean, he, he played outstanding. I thought, I think Eli Apple allowed, what, two two catches, eight yards or something is what he was credited for, something to that effect. I mean, he, he played pretty well last week too. So if that pressure can be a bit more consistent, some sacks and that sort of thing, you can really rattle a backup quarterback potentially and and force more turnovers. So yes, I mean, I think more of the same and then some from the defense, right? I mean, I, I know it's asking still a bit much based on how, how much their backs were against the wall, so to speak, last week. But, you know, a little bit more of those wow plays from Hendrickson, Hubbard and company off the edge and, and, you know, others in that, in that defensive group would probably go a long way this week. I'm, I'm unfortunately thinking back to last year against the bears, the same week, week two, they bring back Jason Peters to start a left tackle and they end up playing a backup quarterback that game, a game that most of the country expected the Bengals to win. And they came out so ugly. Now, obviously they already came out ugly and they have that at the back of their minds, but if they shut out Cooper Rush, that would be the first backup quarterback that they should completely nullified in team history. So until I see it happen, like it's still something that, that remains to be seen if they can actually do what's expected of them and, and limit a limited quarterback. You would think logically, yeah, Cooper Rush, even with C.D. Lamb on, on the field on offense, like he's not going to be able to do very much despite, like Hobson said, his continuity within the system. I, I think just the Cowboys – lack of solidity at offensive line doesn't go well for them either it's just hard to see a reality where the cowboys score more than like 13 17 points mm-hmm. and even last week as much as the Bengals struggled against a better defense than the steelers they still scored 20 so yeah like it, it, it's it's definitely feels like you can confidently predict a win but there's always that butt with a backup quarterback against the Bengals. i hate to say it because logistically like it, it should just be a win but some things just don't make sense in, in this game. Yeah, I think there's still some kinks to be worked out, namely the the red zone offense, like I said uh, earlier. So I'm if I'm going to do a score prediction, I'll go 27-16 Bengals. Um, I think they take care of business. They are favored by about a touchdown at this point in time. So um, I think they take care of business, take care of it pretty, pretty steadily um, and, and get things back on track. And then you know, not to look ahead past this week, but there is some interesting stuff on the horizon with the Jets because we don't know what's going to happen with the quarterback position at this point. Initially, Robert Sala said Zach Wilson is going to be out for the next four or the first four weeks of the season. And so that would mean the Bengals wouldn't see him in week three. Well, now he was spotted at practice this week. Um, So, you know, I don't, it's a lot earlier than anticipated. So the Bengals may or may not, and whatever you think about Zach Wilson at this point in time, I know, but he is their starter. So what looked like potentially the Bengals facing two backup quarterbacks in back-to-back weeks may not be the case. And yeah. And if they don't like it's Joe Flacco and they have a lot of experience against him in both good and bad situations. So (laughs) yeah, in this game, I made a prediction on the Blogging the Boys uh, SB Nation podcast, which you guys should definitely check out. Uh, after this, I made the prediction that the Cowboys actually cover. I'm going to say that the Bengals offense looks better 
but I think they are a lot more conservative. And it's the old mantra, oh, take what the defense gives you. Don't force anything down the mm-hmm. field. I, I do think that Michael Parsons is going to have a good game. And I think a player of his caliber can make a significant impact in slowing an offense down. So I'm going to see the Bengals score only 17 points. And I'm going to give the Cowboys 13. I, I think Cooper Rush may have a decent drive or two. And there is, there's going to be fear and panic inside of that the Bengals are allowing another backup quarterback to walk all over them. But the, the Cowboys have no running game against the Bengals def- defense. I think that's a huge mismatch. And yeah, I, I think the defense does enough to, to limit a backup quarterback in that offense. And also the Cowboys, like who even knows what's going on with them like uh, mentally right now, like another year where Dak is hurt. They've got a potentially a lame duck coach with Sean Payton in, in the wings. Like, I don't know how quickly that thing is going to unravel, but like, yeah. I, I don't see the Bengals coming off of, this past week completely, you know, crapping the bed again. Right. I, I'm in agree with, agreement with you. All right. Well, we both think the Bengals win and take care of business pretty easily here, but we'll see what happens. We kind of thought a little bit of the same maybe last week. We didn't think it would be easy necessarily, but it seemed like a game they had in hand, but not so much the case. Let's drop the mic and get out of here. What do you have for us, John Sheeran, as we close up shop and get set to bring more more content for the people. I got all the content I needed today when Joe Burrow proclaimed himself as a cat guy. I feel like that's a huge win for my brand as a fellow cat guy himself. So <laughs> Do you have a cat? I, got. I, I don't, but I'm getting a cat. As soon as I, I know people have been commenting about the lack of furniture in this place. It's getting furnished within the next week. There will be a couch behind me. You'll have Randall chilling on the couch. I'm getting some other furniture as well. My even improve the microphone quality because it's not that much of an echo here. But as soon as this place is furnished, I want to look out for for a cat for sure. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I I am more of a dog guy, but I've had a cat before, and uh, what was odd? I, I, he was a cool little cat, and uh, he was actually almost a little bit like a dog. He, you know how some cats kind of hide and shy away yeah. from people. He when people would come in, he'd kind of come come down the stairs and check everything out. And uh, he was, he was a cool little cat. I liked, I liked it. So I, if I were to be able to find, I know you can't really pick the personality of the cat, but if you had, you know, I'd be stoked to have a cat. Like, like, like his name was Ricky. So if I had a cat named Ricky and I would, uh, I know he's a good, good dude. Um, Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't have much except for just to say thank you again for, for Jeff to Jeff Hobson. You know, it's been, I'm trying to go back. I, it's been a long time that that since he's been on this show, uh, way too long. And you know, he's even in email exchanges, he's super gracious. He's you know, I I would love to come on, and I you know, just making time. And um, he's just I I think what's cool about the about him and how he treats people, but also how he talks on uh, when you're interviewing him and all of that, you kind of see it through his writing too. Right. I mean, like his personality really comes out in a lot of his writings, not only just the Hobson's choice, but some of these, even if he's just reporting on quotes and he adds in, you know, kind of fun, colorful phrasings and all kinds of different things. And he has been with the organization through thick times, through thin times. And uh, he pretty much has a smile through it all, it seems. So um, just a guy that I admire a lot, not only because he covers the team that we all also cover and care about, but, uh, you know, just the guy just been following his career for a really long time. So it's always exciting to have a guy like that on the show. I've learned, a, I've learned so much about writing through just reading him. And I, I feel like a good writer is usually kind of like 
there's like a melting pot in his or her abilities. Like they, they take some from from this person, they take something from this person, and just how your overall style is a conglomeration from the people that you read the most. And obviously, every every Bengals fan reads Jeff Hobson. And just the way that he, I think, conveys information and the way that he tells stories, most importantly, that's that I feel like is why he's lasted as long as he has just the relationship that the relationships that he's built with players and coaches. And you can just tell that, like, he cares about sharing their lives and their stories in ways that not a lot of other beat writers or team reporters do. And that's why he's been in the game for so long. And it's why he's one of the best at what he does. Yep. Well, said and i gotta i gotta pin this comment here you may not like it but uh this is from rob duncan and I, we can just leave with this cats rob has not been around the right cats or, or <laughs> rob is just a, is just a bad person himself and has gotten the worst out of cats man that's a bad take oh man i i'm a little i am a little surprised about uh burrow Talking about being a cat guy, it surprises me a little bit. Burrows but, chill, uh, cats are chill when you just give them their space and their boundaries, man. Like they're they're, they're amazing creatures. I I will say that, that cats. The thing, cool thing about cats, at least when I was like a you know a bachelor, when I had my cat, um, you know, you could go away if they they're like they're really smart. They ration their food and their yeah. water and all that kind of stuff. You leave them a clean litter box, you give them enough food and enough water, you go away to Vegas for a weekend, you come back and they're hey they're fine, you know, they exactly. they know what to do. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to get out of here. Keep it to CincyJungle.com for your news, opinions, analysis. Keep it to the Orange and Black Insider for a lot of the same and a lot of different content. We've got, like I said, Jeff Cavanaugh, who part of uh, covers the Cowboys with the Believe uh, Network. He's going to be joining us tomorrow, so we'll have that. We'll have all kinds of other things on this show and on the podcast channel, so go catch up. Join us live if you can. We appreciate it. John, uh, I will see you a bunch more times this week, I think, but uh, we'll see you it's good. More times, good. Man. <laughs> yeah. Good, good chatting with you and uh, good hanging with you and Jeff this week. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right.